I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today, I want to get a little spiritual in a Muslim kind of way, but not quite. It's a confusing thing. It's Rumi, the whirling dervishes. Most tourists in Turkey see whirling dervishes, and they have no clue what they're whirling about. Those whirling are followers of Rumi, a 13th century mystic poet who wrote in Persian and is considered by some to be the greatest mystic poet of any age. In 25 years, Rumi wrote over 70,000 verses. Some scholars compare him with Dante or even Shakespeare. 2007 was declared the International Rumi Year by UNESCO, and it's all about remembering Rumi on his 800th birthday. While almost unknown in the West 15 years ago today, Rumi's very popular. The music of Rumi was even part of the 2007 Academy Awards festivities. I'm joined today by Melika Seval, who's a tour guide and author from Turkey. She lives in Izmir. Meli, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here, Rick. Now, that was my Western simplistic description of Rumi. Oh, was it okay in a nutshell, in a simplistic way, or did I miss anything? In a simplest way, it was. I started hearing the music before you started talking, and what that reminded me of years ago, back in 1994, when a friend of mine was dying in San Francisco, the best thing I could do was get the music for her. And I went to the bookshop, asked, what music would be appropriate. And they gave me this music, and they tried to explain to me that this music is mystical music. And I said, that's the music that I grew up with. It's the mystic music of Rumi. So when you hear this music, is it an ambience that you're hearing or the words of the poetry? I hear the words, I hear the rhythm, and I hear the joy in the music. Now, you grew up with Rumi in, as part of your life. Did your parents expose you to Rumi? The exposure is a very subtle thing. You don't know that you're actually learning about the teachings of Rumi, but when they scold you, they will scold you with terms and phrases and poetry of Rumi. When neighbors pulled our ears, if we did something wrong, if we had to be a bitter child, our neighbors would tell us words from Rumi. We did not know what they were quoting. The lullabies were using the words of teachings of Rumi. So yes, I was exposed, but I was a teenager, a grown-up person when I knew what I had learned, what I lived with was actually the teachings of Rumi. And by the way, Rumi, is he the same as Mevlana? Because I've heard the word Mevlana. Yes, uh, Mevlana is his title. He's the one who had reached up to perfection. His real name is Jelalitin, and Rumi is the title that defines where he is from. So if you call Jalalitin Mevlana, just Rumi, it's like calling someone from Texas, Texan. Hmm. So if you say Rumi, it's like, hi, Texan. We prefer to call him Jalalitin Mevlana Rumi. And he's popular in America now in part because we can say simply Rumi, I guess. He was born in during the Persian Empire in what is today Afghanistan, and he lived most of his uh, um, he was born in, in Bal, which right. is now in Afghanistan. And then his father moved first to Mecca, then to Baghdad, then to Damascus. Finally, he settled in Anatolia, where there was a Turkish uh, empire. And since Anatolia, where Turkey is now, then was called the land of Rome or Rum, he was given the title Rumi. 
huh. meanings of the land of room. Now, you consider yourself a Muslim, and you're also somebody who subscribes to the teaching of Rumi. Yes. Mevlana. I'm um, Mevlevi. Mevlevi. Is, is that a problem for um, mainstream Muslim teachers and so on, that people would have Rumi as one of their um, uh, inspirations? No, absolutely not, because as uh, Rumi, in the simple way, as Rumi says, he has one of his foot on the Quran and the other foot goes around 72 nations. Okay, so that's the dance. That's the whirling we're talking about. It's the idea, the concept. He is a Muslim. His teachings are the evaluations and interpretations of Islam. He is not a man of sect. He's a man of philosophy. He's a philosopher. It's not really a sect of, of Islam. It's just a philosophical it interpretation of Islam. It is not a sect Islam. of Islam. It's an interpretation. It's a philosophic interpretation of Islam. Sunnis and Shiites could equally embrace Rumi's teaching? Exactly. Do they? They do. Us tourists, we know the whirling dervishes. That's just it. And you got these guys whirling like teacups around and around and around. The tourists look at that and they just think, that's beautiful. And uh, who are these people? But there is a symbolism in this. It's a meditation, isn't it? As they Are they praying? And tell me exactly what is the symbolism of the dance? Now, turning does not make the best dancer into a whirling dervish. If you could bring a ballet into the stage and ask them to turn, they will do it best, but they will not be a willing dervish. So the philosophy has to be attached to it. And the philosophy is, as you're turning with one hand, right hand up into the heaven, left hand facing down to earth, and you're turning, pivoting on one foot, you are taking from God with your right hand. You're giving to people with your left hand. And you're becoming one centrifuge with the rest of the universe. And every individual can do that transition. You don't need a clergy. You don't need an institution. You don't need an organization to be taking from God, giving to people, or vice versa, taking from people, giving to God. A dervish would be a devotee to the Rumi teachings, and he's meditating, and he gets into this beautiful sort of trance where he's symbolically connecting the love of God with people on earth, and he's pivoting around, and his, the foot that's not pivoting is, is symbolically touching all corners of the planet. Is that right? 72 nations. 72 nations. And he goes round and round, and he gets into a meditative trance, and this is how he would uh, get close to God? or what's And you don't there? necessarily do it physically. If you know these teachings well enough, you can mentally whirl as well. Do you mentally whirl? I do. Is it easy? It's very difficult. Why? Because whirling means you have to have joy, a very strong joy, so much in the words of Rumi, such is my life. Though I came into the world yesterday, today I have built a new whole world to myself. So you have to have this power, this joy that you can create a whole big world out of crumbling world. And not every human being can find that joy in themselves to be able to do that. And you have to have the creativity. And 
I think we do not use our creativity to its max. In the words of Rumi, he said, we have a soul that creates so many joys. If the world crumbles, we can build a new rose garden. And also there's dynamism. Rumi says, forget about the old days, be the child of the time, open up a new page. How many of us can easily open these new pages and be the child of the time? So I think it's very difficult to whirl, but you can train yourself. We have the ability. So if Rumi was to be in Turkey today, what would he tell the Turkish people? He will say, don't worry, you will never be overtaken by the fundamentalists. And I think we have that confidence because we follow his teachings and do and follow the steps of Mustafa Kemal Atatürk. So there's no contradiction between the secular modern teachings of Atatürk and the prophet of love teachings Absolutely of not. Rumi. There's some symbolism in the costume and the ritual of the, the hat and the tombstone and the white dress of the dervishes. Can you explain that? The hat stands for the gravestone, and the dress, white dress, stands for the shroud. So when you will, and when you reach the ultimate best, you reach God, and that's when you wait with God, and that's the time when you die and go into heaven, and you carry your gravestone on your head so this is symbolic of the physical death when you when physical you die. Death. And it's not yes. in uh, Christian theology, I think, you die to your material world. And Hindus are trying to get beyond materialism and everything. Is it a symbolic getting behind material, beyond it's material getting concerns? beyond materialism. So yes. there's, the, there's the present day, um, elevate your needs and focus on God. And then there is also the promise of uh, Muslim equivalent of eternal life and salvation. Yes, you get wed, wed with your God. Now, these dervishes, when you see somebody whirling in a classic sense, are these priests or monks, or who are these people who are whirling? No, they are just well-trained people who had devoted their lives to learning how to whirl, and they've studied the theology. But you can get a ballerina, you can get a man and a woman do whirling, and that's what you see in the coffee houses in Istanbul. So they're not really... Sufis, they're not roomy followers, they're just dancers. Okay, so the tourist, the hazard for a tourist is they might see... uh, uh, Just a dancer, a good dancer. And how would you know whether you're seeing somebody who's really meditating and and, and really in a religious ritual or somebody who's just entertaining the tourists? I think a true Sufi follower of Rumi would not do it publicly, will definitely not do it for money. That reminds me, we were in, you were my tour guide with a group in Konya, I believe. You knew somebody who invited us onto his rooftop, and we had to go through a, a little respective ritual before he would even show us how he meditated through his whirling. Can you explain that? He had kissed the tea glass, he had kissed his shoes, he kissed his belt, so he was giving respect to everything that he was putting on. Everything was about love and respect, even if objects were not living objects. He was respecting them. And he wouldn't let us just come in and watch him whirl. We had to come in early and go through this sort of preparation time. Yes. It was a beautiful experience. It was. Rumi has thoughts about organized religion. What are those? Well, he did not like organized religion. He thought organized religion puts 
the worst restriction to freedom of mind and freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. So he said, unless the seminaries and the minarets perish, no whirling dervish will reach the state he wants to cherish. To emphasize how he did not like organized religion, he also said, only fools praise the mosque while they oppress hearts full of faith. Now, didn't this alienate certain imams that were embracing the uh, church government or the mosque government? It does, but Rumi has an idea about orthodoxy too. And in his words, he said, God's truth is lost on the men of orthodoxy. Mystics refuse to turn life into forgery. God's truth is an ocean and the dogma a ship. Most people don't leave the ship to plunge in that sea. At the threshold of truth, the dogma held them back. At that door, all came in sight, but they could not see. Wow. Now, I feel like one of the major challenges of modern Turkey today, a modern nation, 99% Muslim, what, the uh, size of California, 60 million people, something 72 like... 72 million. 72 million people. It's the struggle against the rise of fundamentalism. And you've got a secular government, you've got a modern sort of urban society that's very strong and growing, and you've got this threat of Islamic fundamentalism that's hard to keep down. Is Rumi something that recognizes this threat, and is Rumi something that more secular Turks would embrace as an alternative to the fundamentalism? For 800 years that Rumi's teachings have been around, there has always been a threat of fundamentalism. And those who follow him, whether they are from Turkish background or Persian background, whether they are Sunnis or Shiites, they have always used Sufi's teachings to honor men. And if you honor men, then anything that would be little, especially fundamentalism, that will belittle men, will not survive. Now, this is sort of a, a long-term uh, conflict within Christianity also. There were people that wrote who said you could find God within you, and the church government was offended by that, and those books didn't make the editorial cut when they put the Bible together. I suppose that's just a common thread in religions. You've got people that want people to find God through the organized religions, and then prophets like Rumi that say you can find God within you. Yes, he said, in search of God, I went to the temples of the Magians where they chant for fire. He was not there. I went to Jerusalem to see if he was on the cross, but I saw that he was not there either. Then I went to Mecca. He was not at that sanctuary. Then I gazed into my heart. There he was and nowhere else. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined today by Melika Seval. And Meli is a tour organizer, and she leads tours herself all over Turkey. And she's a writer. She's sharing with us today an insight into Rumi, who is a, a very popular philosopher that comes out of the Islamic world, but quite popular these days in the United States. To uh, learn more about Meli's work, you can visit her website at melitour.com, M-E-L-I-T-O-U-R.com. Rumi is not really a prophet, is he, in the sense of uh, Muhammad or something like this? No. The last prophet, we believe, is Muhammad. No one claims to be a prophet after Muhammad. Rumi is a philosopher, and he expressed his teachings in poetry. Okay. And so the, the sacred texts of Rumi are his poetic verses? His texts are not sacred, but valuable. Okay. And what is, when you hear the word Sufism or Sufism, what is that? 
Sufism is the mystic aspect of Islam. There were many different Sufis throughout Asia. Rumi is one of the Sufi interpretations, one of the mystic interpretations of Islam. By that, I mean he defines the place of humanism, ecumenism, and universalism, and the role of man as the reflection of creator. When you say ecumenism, Rumi would not condemn non-Muslims from a spiritual way. He wouldn't, of course. Here's a wonderful poem. He says, With Jesus in the sky, Moses on Mount Sinai, raising my scepter high, I call you out, my God. Say that again. Say that again. That's beautiful. With Jesus in the sky, Moses on Mount Sinai, raising my scepter high, I call you out, my God. Okay, so that is it's an ecumenical message, and it really is a message of love. Yes. And humanism. Yes, the celebration of ecumenism. What does it have to do with materialism? Rumi does not think of materialism because we are born to this world to lead a good life, to maintain our perfection. Because according to Rumi, based on the teachings of Islam, the human beings are masterpiece of perfect art. So what he teaches is to maintain that perfection. And according to his teachings, the perfection can be maintained, keeping wisdom, feeling, and conscience equally upright. And then you go, and if you lived a good life here, then you wed with God. I can see why it's popular, and it's more popular than ever in the United States. Meli Saval, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. It was my pleasure. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe, researching and writing guidebooks. His now classic Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for Istanbul, Athens, and every other corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.